This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Field Notes brand. USA made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrand.com or 400 North May. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my friend, Andrew Bentley, and he talks to me about his love of English history, specifically where it pertains to its monarchs. Bentley is a bit of a buff on a lot of different subjects, so I was excited to talk to him about this. And uh, his depth of knowledge really comes through in his writings and his performances And uh, this whole convo was definitely no exception. I was really excited to get to kind of like pick his brain on a topic that he's a big fan of. And uh, I unfortunately was mostly only able to do it via (laughs) representations of monarchs in pop culture, just because I know pop culture better than I know history. And I always have and probably always will. Because I'm just a big, dum-dum TV movie watcher. But it was very fun to hear him kind of get riled about the things that uh, become inconsistencies uh, when they are made into pop culture. Uh, so I, I think there that we managed to strike a balance here between actual like facts and stories about specific um, leaders and... Uh, some fun representations of them on TV and film. Towards the end, he said he probably could have just talked about like BBC television the whole time, which is also very funny. But uh, this was a real joy. I'm glad I got to sit down with Andrew, and I'm very glad he got to uh, rattle off all the monarchs in order at the end of the episode. That's right. Stick around, and you will get that. So if you want more from Bentley in terms of his writing, his performances, boy, do I have good news for you. You can watch uh, some episodes of a wonderful web series that they just premiered in April uh, called The Street Wizard's Apprentice. If you go to streetwizardseries.com, you can see all those. Billy did some writing and some acting on that project. He's a regular contributor at the Paper Machete. He is one half of the sketch group Rabbit Rabbit with past guest of the show Chris Blake. And he is a frequent contributor at the Nerdalogs Your Stories as a past member of the group. So there's a lot from when he was still uh, hanging with us full time. There are a lot that he's come back and bestowed upon us and we couldn't be happier about this week's episode actually features myself and Andrew Bentley as a send-off to one Eric Garneau taking your stories on the road. So if you want to listen to that, follow Eric's endeavors, etc., you should go to nerdlogs.com or to our Patreon page. So it's just patreon.com slash nerdlogs, I believe. But, you know, you know how the internet works. You can just, like... Search something. That's what people do, right? I can't remember the last time I typed in a specific URL. Um, I think that's all I got. This was a really great conversation. Bentley is a great friend and intellectual, and I always uh, savor any time that I get to kind of pick his brain because it is full. 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for fully funding Competition Kitchen, the Nerdlog's most recent Kickstarter endeavor. Congratulations to Joan Kevin for helming that so hard and making it happen. And if you want to contribute to get the game, you have about 48 hours from when this releases to do so. So if you're listening to this on the week it came out, you still got time to get in on the Kickstarter phone if you haven't already. And if you didn't, I'm sure the game will be available for pre-ordering and purchasing very soon. Thank you so much for your support and for listening. Enjoy the show. It's different. I mean, Danny Tanner, I knew almost everyone mm. I was directing. Uh, whereas this, I only knew one person, uh, the guy who uh, wrote it or wrote most of it. I wrote like a couple scenes of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everyone else, we just, I actually held auditions and nice. callbacks and cast and everything and felt like a total fraud. While, like, <laughs> people were coming in all nervously and handing me their headshots. Right. And, like, and you're just like, uh. It's like, mm, yes. <laughs> like, look at the I resume. No business <laughs> yeah. judging you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It is kind of fun, though, as a performer to get those moments of, like, oh, everyone is kind of a fraud. Like, Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Because if I were in your Uh, position anyway, that's what I would get out of it is, like, oh, so many times when I've been on the other side of the situation, Mm -hmm. I have given the auditor, like, so much, like, power and clout Mm -hmm. when uh, they could just as well be an old yeah. schlub trying to keep themselves together like me. <laughs> All I had was the authority of the theater around me. <laughs> right, yeah. right, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it's probably good to mm-hmm. to kind of stretch your what you're willing yeah, to, like, right. which hat you're Fake willing it to wear. Fake it till you make it, so to speak, right, yeah. I don't know, it's, too. it's been going well, like, now that we're, I mean, you, you worked with me, like, once we're in the actual, you know, process of it, and we're blocking everything, yeah. and actually, like, talking character and like scene work and everything then i really get into it i'm just awkward with all like the trappings of authority of it of, like, <laughs> right. like the first rehearsal um the woman who owns the theater showed up unexpectedly oh. and i wasn't expecting her to be there and so and I then felt, it was your turn to be like oh god <laughs> yeah i felt obligated to like talk about like my process and right. like and i did whiffed it like that's so funny uh, yeah it was <laughs> But now that we're past that. And I'm sure once you get to the final product and mm-hmm. she comes, it'll be a totally oh, different yeah. feeling. You'll be like, oh, sure. oh, look at this thing I did where I'm not trying to prove to you that I've had the capabilities right. to do this yet. Yeah. I don't know. Plus, also, like, I've got twice as much time to do it as I did Danny Tanner. Nice. So, yeah. It's, it's a little... That's it's, helpful. Yeah. Especially with the, like, kind of learning curve of your... Having to learn your performers a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and I'm not losing half my rehearsals to people learning music either. So. Ah, yes, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, true story. So there's more time. Uh, to work on it. Man, we I I feel really good about where that. Yeah, that was, <laughs> was. I calculated one time, like in terms of, like pure like hours, how many hours I had to direct that show, mm-hmm. and it was it was like. It's like maybe it was like twenty four or something like that when we actually figured it out. It's like put the That's show together crazy. and like people it was do spread 24 out. hour like play yeah. festivals mm-hmm. and <laughs> and and put together like five minute plays. You know, yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. I mean, people granted people had time to like learn their lines in between those sure, hours. Very but, true. Very yeah, true. In terms of actual like time in the space, I don't know, it 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 came together. That would happen. It was just a really good group of people. It was really fun, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad that you're directing something else because yeah, I too. think it was really fun to work with you mm-hmm. on that. So uh, 
I would hope it continues to be something that you, uh, an itch you keep scratching, I guess I should it's say. like intermittently. Like, <laughs> right now, like once, maybe twice a year seems about right. Like, like, like the about, amount of time that you're willing to like give to it. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair, man. That's yeah. I think that's one of the hardest parts of all of this is figuring out like where your time and energy goes. <laughs> well, like directing so much more extracurricular than performing. Sure, like, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nice being able to just go home and then not have to worry about it until like the next rehearsal right, right. Yeah. yeah uh well my guest today is my good friend andrew bentley hello and we're going to discuss his interest in knowledge of uh english history where the monarchy is concerned specifically mm-hmm. uh what would you say is the origin of your love for this uh my origin of the love for this um it's probably largely because of my my grandparents um my dad's parents specifically my my nana and papa mm. um they they lived in england for a while um, wow and for yeah for for uh, many years and then they when i was before i was born and then when i was very young uh, and then when they came back to the states they brought like a good deal of things they picked up in england with them uh-huh um and so that was kind of like my my entree to uh this like when i would go and stay at their house and end up like watching like Maryland public television, which were like old British TVs. So right. Watch, like, you know, uh, faulty towers and are you being served and black adder? Oh my um, gosh. And all, and you know, I was any doctor who in there. No, I was never a doctor who person. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. I, I don't I watch see the current nothing one wrong with like, that, But yeah. it was just like, it mm-hmm. seemed like it came with the territory. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, and so they would, they would periodically, they would go back to visit England. Um, and while they were there, uh, they started buying books for me, um, and they started buying um, book series called Horrible Histories. Uh, oh, which, I'm familiar, I think. Yeah, the, so it was later turned into, a, I think, a pretty popular TV series okay. uh, for, for kids, but it started um, as a, a book series by this guy, Terry Deary, um, and it was, you know, the first ones were like the awesome Egyptians, the rotten Romans, the groovy Greeks, like oh the vicious Vikings, gosh. like that, and, the, you know, the, so they... They started those days where their histories, they were written by an English author, so, but the, the, the original ones, they were like classical civilizations, you know, and, and they would, they would touch maybe on some modern British stuff, but it was mostly the, you know, the, the ancient history. Uh-huh. Um, but then as he ran out of those civilizations, he started right. being more and more specific and he started getting into English history. Uh, and so he wrote books on some of the specific uh, English dynasties of rulers, like the the, the terrible Tudors and the slimy Stuarts, yes. and so on and forth. And um, these titles definitely sound familiar okay. to me. You know, like, I, sh- I think I've either yeah. like seen them or mm-hmm. or you know had them in classrooms or something okay. like that. I, I should have brought. I've got all of them still really? in like a big cardboard box in, in my closet now because one of the times when I was at home, my mom was like, you have to take these or I'm throwing them out. And <laughs> that happened like, to me yeah. with all the Animorphs books. Oh, yeah. So I just, we just have this like small shelf in my do, room. Do you have all of them? Oh, all the Animorphs? every single oh, one. God. Yeah. It's like, it's like 52 of those or yeah, something. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. All right. The, um, but yeah, so. <laughs> Which probably says a lot about like the learned nature of our uh, tendencies. Right. Like you have all these like books that are, Mm-hmm. Like history's geared towards kids, and I'm like, I liked the animals. Yeah, it's like I'd give them to my kids someday, there you go. and they probably will not give a shit. But <laughs> you know, maybe if I keep them indoors, they'll get bored and they'll be forced to read them. Maybe, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, the 
yeah, so they they brought me back these books. I was already into like history kind of in the the abstract as like a history um and like you know mythology and you know classical learning and i read like historical fiction like old like bernard cornwell books and everything uh, and so like the the ground was was fertile for it uh-huh. um but because i mean these were written for for english children as their national history they got like ended up eventually getting very like in depth as the the books went on so i started picking up all this weird esoteric knowledge um and eventually i was something i did bring uh they brought me back it's a uh it's a deck of cards of the kings of queens of england oh my um, gosh so here's majority there's only there's 40 of them so they had to include a bunch of like the saxons from like before the british That's you know, so monarchy funny. in order to get it out to 52 uh-huh but and so <laughs> i brought these just you know as, as, a, as yeah. a prop for later potentially and also um if we we do not have to if we feel like testing whether I can name all the British monarchs. In oh order, my God, that is something not. that you have the ability to do, though. Like I, potentially, yeah, uh, yes. Oh the, my God, potentially. I might. Well, we'll see. I once could do it very easily. I don't know if I can. That seems. Now. <laughs> I feel like I've known people who could do that with the presidents. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do it with the presidents. That's the sad. Part. That is hilarious. That yeah. that is so funny that you're deep enough into this mm-hmm. that you're like, yeah, I can probably pull it off. But what I was gonna say is, I feel like this would be so much harder because so much of it is the same name and mm-hmm. numbers. And sure. That is a nightmare. Yeah. The thing is, there's actually fewer of them than there are U.S. presidents. Right at but, this point. Yeah, but they're all far more familiar. It's it's you know it's like Edward the Second and Edward the Third and right. Henry the Second and so on and not you know all distinct Millard first Fillmore. and last. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, I don't know. So that was. You know, I don't know why it was that thing in particular that that grabbed me, but I uh, think it was I don't know maybe because I wasn't getting that like anywhere else. You know, you you there'd be other books on like the the, the you know the Greeks and the Egyptians and, and everything, um, but these were certainly like the only histories, the only representations I was seeing of like these very specific um, you know periods of history, like. You know, the, the Stuarts and all of the, the history around, like, the English Civil War. And, like, I feel like probably 50% of people don't know the English had a Civil War. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it's, I guess, like you said, you know, there wasn't anywhere else probably in your schooling where it was getting mm-hmm. this deep. Whereas you're probably spending a good, you know, unit on, like, the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I don't know about you, but, like... I feel like in high school I had uh what's the European like history class that uh, like AP like, European history Yeah, like, I think yeah. I I don't think I took that. Like mm-hmm. I specifically was like, mm, I'll stick with US." Uh-huh. Like, but my friends were more inclined for uh you know, history as a background definitely did. So I would assume that you mm-hmm. you definitely like were drawn to those Oh yeah, of- no. I, I I took like AP European history and all, like all the the history and English classes, I went deep on, and then yeah. in I took as few math classes as humanly possible and got out of there. <laughs> uh, did you take a lot of like English and history when you were in college? Um, yeah, not so much. Only because like the AP classes had fulfilled a lot of my oh, credits for it. Sure, so you're and, like, well, I don't have to. Yeah, and I was, I was taking theater and criminology courses. Oh, instead. that's right. Yeah, I but, forgot you did the criminology thing. Yeah, too. it's come. It's so useful. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, you uh, mm-hmm. understand a lot about how that 
works. Sure. Like, which is... Uh, I, I know enough to get really, really angry whenever, like, anyone in this administration starts talking. But, right. Yeah. That's that's kind of where I'm coming from. It's <laughs> like, I definitely know more about, like, criminology and forensics than your average citizen and uh-huh. is an easily, like, infuriatable yeah. topic. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, like, when, you know, when... When Trump is being like, there, you know, there's more crime now than uh, any other time in American history or whatever. I, I don't remember exactly what. <laughs> that is not the topic. All right. <laughs> let's, let's just not go down that we road. Could, we could spend far too much yeah. time going down that road, like <laughs> mm-hmm. you said. Uh, so when you started into kind of like reading uh, specifically about these eras, uh-huh. what do you think it was that kind of hooked you about it? Do you think there's... I mean, there's a general, like, presentational, uh-huh. like, pageantry. Sure. And and these are a more iconic position sure. than, you know, most other leaderships in mm-hmm. general. Well, and, you know, I mean, since it goes back so far, I mean, mm-hmm. it goes to a time when these people had absolute power. So, like, the uh, the extent of their excesses is, you know, so... So much more than, you know, the extent of personalities for, like, you know, American presidents. It's like, you know, any of the American presidents, they obviously, they have their foibles and a lot of them are are very interesting. But, like, the end of the day, they can only make so much impact, uh, you know, whereas, you know, some of these people who are, you know, absolute, you know, tyrants or madmen or, you know, or, you know, good rulers could, you know, uh, have far more wide-reaching influence uh and so i I think you you mentioned like the iconic nature of it Mm -hmm. i think that's you know that's something that grabbed me like it i mean the historians seemingly go back and forth you know all the time about you know kind of in in waves whether you know history is you know the primarily like the product of like great men and women or if it's you know the product of you know lots of little contributions by people like which is the the prevailing theory um but i think when you're when you're young, when you're making like a, you know, first like an, an entrance into history, like the, the great person theory is a lot, there's a lot more to sink your teeth in rather than sure. looking at all like the, the, you know, the intricate little, you know, structural things that led to this. You can, you know, look at like this person, this big personality, you know, yeah. did this. And, and it seems like there's so much to be said for how much was able to be like, covered or studied or written mm-hmm. about that wasn't the huge like iconic figures mm-hmm. you know like what do we have that actually remains as written record uh-huh. of every small you know i'm sure there are plenty of things where we like don't where we don't like credit the right invention or sure. like legislative policy or whatever mm-hmm. to the right person just because it's the nature of history and the way things are mm-hmm. talked about and i'm sure with like British colonialism, we all have this huge bias towards studying their history. <laughs> yep. uh, so I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Um, but to me, uh, I guess it says a lot that there was an interest in like these huge figures, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to view history through that. Uh-huh. You remember having a first like interest in a particular monarch or era oh man um the a couple uh you know i, I mean i was a big 
dork still you know, am as a kid. Um, and so uh, there, there were a few things. You know, I mean, obviously the medieval stuff grabbed me at first because I was like sure. a big like fantasy, you know, kid. Right, so sure, that a, makes sense. Right, I had a, a lot of interest in like you know the Crusader kings, like you know, like William the Conqueror, and you know I can talk for a while about William the, like, the Conqueror <laughs> and everything he did. Just I mean, he wasn't. Other than the fact that he, you know, he unified the you know the kingdom for the the first time, he's the the first you know British monarch. Like, there compared to some later figures, he maybe wasn't as you know nuanced or sure. you know influential. But he had so many like weird you know foibles and so many like you know interesting things like you know the fact that. Uh, he was, you know, a hugely strong man who could uh, run and jump onto his horse from standing position wearing full armor. Uh, <laughs> so all that is, like, written in mm-hmm. history yeah, that he the, was, like, a total physical badass. Yeah, and, like, the... Which you might think is is suspect, right. but uh, interesting about English history, and I think it, it's possibly something just in the, the English character, like, they're famously uh, self-deprecating character oh, is that the there's not a lot of hagiography from what I've seen in like I mean I'm sure it's out there but there's in from what I've read there's not a lot of hagiography in, in English history like they they treat these people like real people it's not really? like it's not like oh and you know and you know Richard the Lionhearted was great and only great um and that maybe they're a little bit more realistic about uh their representations Mm -hmm. because of their nature as a people sure and and, i mean these books certainly more because i think actually part of the horrible history is part of they were trying to like uncover interest kids by talking about all like the you know like the the dirty and nasty and like violent parts of history and everything so you know you've got richard the the lion-hearted he's you know iconic from you know robin hood he's like the returning uh-huh. king in, in robin hood right. or whatever uh but you know what obviously robin hood doesn't you know touch on is the fact that like on the way back fr- first of all he was off the crusades not ruling and letting england go to shit like milking everyone dry to defund the crusades and then on the way back from the crusades uh he got kidnapped by the germans um because he was t- too stupid to remove his um his ring that said he that showed he was a king like his coronary ring oh my god and so like he was like disguised as like you know quote unquote like kitchen hand or whatever but he was still wearing like his king ring a core like that anyone would recognize yeah and the germans was like uh okay and kidnapped him and had to ransom him back to the you know the english people so they then had to pay a whole bunch to even get him back and he just came back and then you know then immediately levied more taxes to go back to the crusades but oh god That's really, I I love the idea that, you, you touched on the historical fiction, uh-huh. and I guess that's what we had, you know, mm-hmm. that's what these things would be considered, that you're like, Bravehearts and uh, Robin Hoods are, mm-hmm. are historical fiction oh, in Braveheart. a lot of sense. <laughs> Braveheart is one of the least historically accurate movies ever made. Like, it, it is real, real bad. I, really? I didn't remember quite how, but I actually rewatched it, um... Like a month ago, my, my girlfriend Sasha had never seen it, so I uh, watched it with her. And I remember I was like, yeah, I don't think a lot of this is is quite right. Um, <laughs> the uh, And it's, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Like, I think there is, uh, I was reading a quote about it, and I can't, I can't remember. It's like the, the battle of, like, X bridge. Oh, okay. Um, and in the movie... There's not even a bridge. Like it's just, 
it's named the Battle of like whatever bridge. And then when, when they stage it, it's just like it, it's, that's no the one, one where he's like riding up and down in front of the men, you know, yeah, in the, the open right. field. But you know, in reality, that was like they were holding a bridge. In front of was a like, bridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and all, I mean that's that's interesting because that um, that deals with Edward the First and Edward the Second. Edward the First uh, Longshanks the uh, is the the, the the king, the villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, of that movie, um, and you know, he's known. He was known as the Hammer of the Scots for you know, subduing Scotland. Gotcha. Um, and they, uh, you know, they they frame him as this you know evil, like twisted old man. Um, and you know, you c- can make that case. The he did some terrible it. thing to the Scottish people, but right. uh, there are also because a lot of records that, that he was. Yeah, that he was. Like incredibly generous, they're like more so than most kings. Like he's, he's huh. listed as someone who like gave a great deal to you know the the people. And but then in the movie, obviously they've uh, got him. Villain. Like the queen suggests, like like you know perhaps we could give the gold to the you know the poor. And he like laughs at her and uh, he's like, "What a stupid woman!" You know. Oh, that's but, uh, really funny. <laughs> and then the um uh the the princess the uh, that in um. In Braveheart, um, that you know his his son marries, right. uh, and the one thing they did get right, they portray his son as gay, and there's a, you know a lot of evidence that he he probably was. Huh. And then Mel Gibson took a bunch of crap for that for like interesting him you know for like playing like the murder of his gay lover for laughs and stuff. But um, gotcha. But then, <laughs> so. The the princess Mel Gibson ends up you know sleeping with her and it implies that like the next king will actually be William Wallace's child and right. which is obviously ridiculous but she's treated as like this um, you know this like saintly figure who uh, is horrified by the way um, you know that the the king is like treating people and everything and yet she actually uh, in real life. Um, First of all, in real life, she was like five when the events of Braveheart were taking place. Uh, but secondly, she uh, she grew up uh, and murdered her husband. Um, she sided with her son in a revolt against him, uh, imprisoned him, and then had him murdered in the Tower of London uh, by having a hot poker shoved up his ass. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is like Shakespearean. Yeah, well... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, or, I mean, you, you raise... I mean... A lot of, um, if you like George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of his stuff is cribbed just from English history. Like, like the, you know, stories here and there. Yeah, well, I mean, the the whole Civil War, that's the, the story of, like, the first three books, um, is just kind of a retelling of the War of the Roses. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I watched the first season of Game of Thrones, okay. and it, like, mm-hmm. wasn't really... For you, uh, for me, yeah. so yeah, I stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I wouldn't have realized that it was that. It makes a lot of sense that mm-hmm. it, it would kind of be an easy thing to like map over, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's interesting to me that there's still so much, um, you know that's like mined from that uh-huh. i guess oh, yeah. uh because you even have like a few years ago mm-hmm. essentially a biopic of the king's speech sure. you know only focusing yeah, george on, the sixth right mm-hmm. on on this one monarch's mm-hmm. ability to deliver a speech yeah. like that that's how deep we're still able to kind of like mm-hmm. in these little pulls of like 
Uh, let's talk about Robin Hood, but uh-huh. they definitely still involve a real British monarch in the story. Sure. You know, <laughs> it's interesting that it seems like creatively we still have ties and an interest to uh, mm-hmm. exploring all of that. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you see the King's Speech? Did you I like really like the King's yeah, Speech. Yeah, I did too. I've always, I don't know why, I've had a weird soft spot for George the Sixth. And really? I, I think it comes down to, honestly, like the way Terry Deary drew him uh, in like the the books when he, he talked. In his really? History. Yeah. Um, so you the, think he just, maybe he had a soft spot for I, I think, George yeah, I think, you know, some of like my, like my favorite monarchs are just, you know, the, the way he presented him, like in uh-huh. you know, the, the book that, that talks about um, him. And he's, it's not much about him because he never wrote one, you know, just about for the, each one. You know, the, the yeah. But the, um, uh, he, um, I don't know, he's just, because he, I think he was trying to convey like how unprepared he was to, to be king because obviously he was the younger brother. His uh, older brother, Edward VIII, was supposed to be king. He's played by Guy Pierce in The King's Speech. That's right. Um, and he is for less than a year and then he abdicates the throne because he wants to marry a divorced American woman. Uh, so oh. George VI, who had been growing up his whole life, basically he was expected to be a Navy officer. Mm. He was going to be like a high-ranking Navy officer. And then there's like... Nope, surprise, you're going to be king instead. So in, in the books, you know, Terry Deary's, you know, drawn him as just, like, looking very, like, helpless and lost with his big navy beard and, and hat. And, I don't know, it's, it's endearing. It's the sort of thing that, like, sinks in as a, a kid and then gets, like, you know, carried through that if, you know, you, you just form these opinions. And, like, when I went into the king's speech, uh-huh. you know, I was going and being like, oh, man, they better... They better treat him well. They better do uh, justice to him. Like, that's so funny. You know. They had like a preconceived notion of what you wanted out right, of that yeah. story because you already had a, <laughs> mm-hmm. a, a a bit of a bias for like. I, but it does seem like that's the way that his story was portrayed in the, in the <laughs> sense that like he never asked for that. Yeah. And that is such a like terrifying prospect to me mm-hmm. <laughs> that like there could be someone running your country oh wait the devil you say oh. yeah right oh my god <laughs> I truly when I started that thought was oh, like what a oh my right god <laughs> uh, I don't even compare Donald Trump and George no, the Sixth. no it's no. certainly not a worthy comparison <laughs> but the idea stands of sure. of someone you know Especially in George the Sixth's position of, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that he was a member of the royal family, but never expecting to actually have to, like, serve in that position. Sure. Uh, and the exploration of, you know, uh, his, like, anxieties surrounding that, affecting the literal way that he was able to, like, communicate with the mm-hmm. world, is really fucking interesting. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> like, I'm a sucker. If they just started doing... Moving backwards, just doing biopics <laughs> of like every English monarch. I go see them all. You know? I think for me, it would have there'd have to be like a winning, you know, Colin Firth in each. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they, to be fair, they might have trouble with some of them, like, like William the Fourth, for instance. Is there's just like wouldn't be much yeah, it's, to it's, say. Uh, it's it's Queen Victoria's father, and he's just there's just not a lot going on with him. Like, uh, it's, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, you know, like, how many movies have they made about Queen Elizabeth? A lot. Right? Either one. Elizabeth uh, yeah. the second or Elizabeth the first, yeah. Sure. Uh, it seems like she might be the most, like, cinematically covered monarch. 
I think in so. my I mean, estimation. Are you talking about Elizabeth the first or Elizabeth the second? I I guess the first yeah. is the one that has like more it shows up in more mm-hmm. things. Uh in my recollection. Sure. Well she's I don't know, she was brilliant. She was very you know emblematic. I mean, like mm-hmm. she like even at the time, you know, she was considered a very like larger than life figure. I mean, she was to the you know, the extent that she was quote unquote the virgin queen like obviously not by any stretch you know there's it's it's now all sorts of historical records about like the many like lovers she had at court and everything but she never married oh. uh, and so of course she was a virgin right one of that i mean to the of extent course. that i grew up in virginia which is named after the virgin queen oh like, my god yeah south of maryland named for her sister mary right yeah yeah, yeah, and I guess maybe that's what it is too, is that mm-hmm. those were the monarchs when mm-hmm. uh the US was like sure. being born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Carolina is um one right. of the, the Georgia's wife's yes. uh, one of the the queens and then uh Georgia, south of that for George. Mm. Um and then Florida, no, because we stole that from the Spanish, but they right. <laughs> uh yeah. Pretty, you know, and then Pennsylvania, no, because that's after Penn, but Still, mm-hmm. out of out of most of those thirteen, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 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 funny just looking at like you know everything that's that's named in sequence, like you know after people. So you look at the the Stuart dynasty. So you've got um, James first. You got King James. So you got Jamestown, mm-hmm. um, and then you have Charles. So you've got Charlestown, Charles and Town. then you've got Williams. So you've got Williamsburg <laughs> uh, and the College of William and Mary. But the right. Uh, um, and then by the time it gets to Queen Anne, who's the last of the um, the Stuarts, uh-huh. um, the they've run out of like pla- there's no like new like places to name. So instead, they started naming like things after her. So you've got like Queen Anne's lace, and like uh, it's like oh, this is like a new style of building. It's like we'll call this a Queen Anne. That's you know? <laughs> really funny because she you know she didn't want to get short shrift. She demanded things be named after her, but like, kind of, we ran out of places. Like, yeah, that's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, you, you become um, inured to it. I think definitely uh, the, I don't know, but for America in particular, I mean, there's, there's other cases of that, obviously, but particularly with the British, I don't think anyone was quite as successful as the British at just putting their stamp on things and, and leaving it. Cause at, at one point, Queen Victoria um, was queen of one quarter of the people in the world. Oh, yeah. my God. The, yeah, one quarter of everyone in the world was part of the British Empire. And the British, I mean, the British started naming everything. You know, they like, Australia was originally called New South Wales. Right. Yeah, and they, they, you know, they, they got out of that one. But Right. You know. Do you have an estimation of, like, what? that tendency is like you know the 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 manifest destiny of the nature of like colonialism like why is that such a like inherently british thing i it man who's like (laughs) that's such a complex question i'm sure Uh, (laughs) the i think you know, I'm I'm only obviously just like guessing here. These, yeah, these yeah. are my this is you know, a best best guess. Sure, sure. Yeah, but um, you know, I think to an extent, uh, originally it was like overcompensation or like getting their own because for uh for a very long time, um, England was a 
tiny kingdom. You know, it was just an, an island. Even like through you know much of the the medieval era and um, you know into the, the early Renaissance and everything, they that England maybe like some lands in like northern France and everything, but they were you know while they were always or you know since like the Dark Ages at, at least somewhat like an, an economic power. Mm-hmm. They you know and um, they were you know good at you know, defending their, their island. Um, the, and maybe uh, because it was, you know, mm-hmm. a smaller sure. area. Mm-hmm. But they, they, they didn't have that sort of worldly influence that, you know, a lot of other countries did. And, you know, it's weird to think about a time when Poland was, like, vastly more powerful than, huh. you know, than England. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, at a, a certain point... Um, you know, around the discovery of the new world when they started, you know, these lands were, were open, they could, you know, start gobbling them up. Uh, there was just a, an arms race, you know, uh, of, of right. sorts. Like, you know, the, the idea of, like, very early nationalism. Like, I think, that's not fair to say, because really the age of exploration predates nationalism as we think of it today. Hmm. Uh, so it's really, it's probably more economic, at least initially, like, you know, you, you take land, you can farm it, you can bring that stuff back, you, you know, enrich yourselves, you trade. Um, in, the same, you know, in the same way that much of our modern foreign policy is, you know, dictated also, by sure. what businesses want, you know, it, the same way what, you know, what, you know, merchant companies needed to make money, right. um, they would entreat the... The king, and if you know, the king could make money on it as well, then great. So there is, you know, that race to gobble up as much land as possible went of, of what was, you know, quote unquote unoccupied, like right, for the new sure. world. In um, their estimation. Then when you get into, uh, you know, cases like India and China that were, I mean, obviously all these places were were occupied. Like, right. I don't, I don't want to say Africa wasn't occupied, but as far as like, you know the the British people were concerned it was occupied by savages. Right. When you get to, you know, places like India and China where they were, you know, they were they were foreigners, mm-hmm. but you would have a hard time like trying to pretend they were, you know, savages when they've got Uncivilized. these, you know, these. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, so, um, there was a lot of it was just ruthless mercantilism. I mean, you look at like you know Hong Kong or something where basically merchants sailed in and took it hostage. Um, the uh, there was also a strong undercurrent among the populace where a lot of people um, considered they were doing people of these countries a favor. You know, they right. were they were civil- sure. they were bringing the the grace and the civilization yeah, of the, the British of the Empire crusades, to yeah, you know, exactly, yeah. like it's yeah. all it's mm-hmm. all uh, shrouded under yeah. yeah a religion initially and then you know more so government and you know, when, once you get into like the age of nationalism and like the you know the 19th century That's... and everything then you get into uh, I think that was a great answer to a really difficult yeah. question. <laughs> I, I barely sc- okay. If the if anyone uh, really wants to look into it, there's a really good book uh, called the the rise and fall of the or the the decline and fall of the British Empire. It's by Piers Brendan. Um, it's about two thousand pages of really really dense history, <laughs> uh, but also really interesting history. He's and he's uh, accrued a huge number of. Um, 
you know, like primary source documents, which are cool. you know, great. It's, it's honestly a lot of it's like it takes a very long time. It's, it's oh, the sort I of thing. Imagine. I finally finished it years after I bought it because for a while I would just like a few times a year I would just like pull it, it out it and read like another chapter because it goes. I mean, there'll be a chapter just on like Ceylon, like how did the British take Ceylon? How did the British <sighs> lose Ceylon? You know? Wow. And so it. I could probably start it again. I've probably forgotten enough since I started reading it <laughs> that I could now go back and start again and just every few months for the rest of my life, like, read a chapter of it. But, That's, it's really interesting, though, that I, I do, I'm with you that it seems like the answer has to kind of fall somewhere in between, like, uh, the ec- the nature of the economy that mm-hmm. they had built and their desire to continue to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, bolster it. And the idea that all of it was, you know, under the guise of we're we're doing all these people a favor mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> um, what do you think uh, are some of the things that, when you look back on the monarchs, you kind of take as uh, the the positives? Like, who are the big? Um, you know, the Mount Rushmore's, you know, oh, like man. it's it who are the people that should be looked at in a good light, I guess. Okay. Um Well, again, kind of a complicated question because it, it's like you know, there there are so few true like historical heroes, uh-huh. you know. I mean, even just in our limited history of presence, most of our presidents were assholes of one sort or another. <laughs> sure. Like the same thing is true of British monarchs. So you have to look at, okay, well, were they good for their country, for their people? Were they good for the rest of the world? Hmm. You know, like, were they, uh, is there, <laughs> I mean, as far as people who've just been good for like the whole world, everyone, the best is probably current Queen Elizabeth just because she has no real power. Like, oh, you know, they, <laughs> sure. Because she she can't do anything. That's a good take. Yeah. Uh, um, And then I would say, moving back, um, George VI is one of the the better ones. um, Because, you know, following, um, although, again, by this point, so much of this was in the hands of prime ministers uh, Uh, and even parliament. But uh, if you want to look at under his reign, I mean, he led the people through World War II. Right. um, And then after World War II... uh, you know, permitted much of the the British Empire to become independent. You know, huh. helped. You know, and be fair, this was in the works. Was a lot of it just couldn't be kept after World War Two. Um, the uh, but for multiple reasons, some of it was like lost to the Japanese, and then they never really got it back. And like the war ended, and like the Japanese retreated, and like the British didn't go back in and be like, "Hey, we're back." Uh, like, that was ours. Remember? <laughs> yeah, just, uh, yeah but, but for real, guys, for real. No, they, um, <laughs> Some was that. Some of it um, they permitted to, you know, become free. Some of it, like India. Uh, interestingly enough, India. You want to talk about economics? This is not um, under George. Uh, this is oh God. Uh, India was made independent under probably actually probably under his father, George V. I I don't know for sure. I don't remember the exact year of Indian independence, uh, but uh, India was basically permitted to become independent um, both through, you know, some of the, you know, Gandhi, I don't want to undersell, you know, uh, Gandhi and the passive resistance. Sure. uh, But because it was more economically useful as a trading partner and market that they, whose upkeep 
they were not responsible for oh. than it was as a piece of, of territory. Yeah, um, man. It's so funny when <laughs> things like that. Ha- I was uh, listening to a book recently that pointed out that uh, uh, at least part of the reason that uh, gay marriage became uh, a Supreme, Supreme <laughs> Court decision <laughs> was at least part of it was economic in the sense that there were now, you know, a huge boost in the wedding Mm -hmm. industry. And that is a huge like aspect of our economy. And I mean, you look where uh, pot's going, right? Exactly. A great example. It's not because, you know, 200 deadheads stood outside the white house. It's because it's economically viable. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. So it's, it's easy to overlook things like that mm-hmm. and it's easy to like you know like you said pat george v mm-hmm. on the back and go like great job realizing <laughs> that that was the right thing to do when mm-hmm. it just so much of the underbelly is like mm-hmm. guys this was because of money and stuff <laughs> yeah spirit george v and so this was george the sixth from you know the king's speech his mm-hmm. dad um this is a, a quote of his i remember that you know helps um you know, kind of explain what, you know, George VI was coming up from. Maybe he plays a timid character. Uh, he's quoted um, in some interview on the, the radio uh, shouting um, that his father was afraid of his mother. I was afraid of my father and my children are damn well going to be afraid of me. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Just carrying on the, you know, the, the family tradition of terrorizing his children. Oh. <laughs> I yeah. can't fathom being in that position mm-hmm. Or even in, I mean, now I guess it's a little different in the sense that, like, every public figure is under constant, like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to be invisible to the public Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, And it seems like it would just be an impossible, like... It's it's funny because you're like, oh well, yeah, let's be empathetic to these mm-hmm. like hugely powerful, oh, right. like, yeah, poor them. filthy <laughs> rich people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can't fathom the pressure. Yeah, especially uh, where mm-hmm. someone like George the Sixth is concerned, who like didn't even wasn't expecting it, didn't mm-hmm. necessarily want it. Well, I mean, and you you look at a lot of a lot of societal change happens. Uh, under weak rulers, as opposed to under you know strong rulers, you know particularly where I think where English history is concerned, um, because you know a a strong ruler is generally interested in maintaining the status quo hmm. um, and you know maintaining their own power. Because uh, really, when you're starting with like absolute power mm-hmm. as your starting point, basically any societal change is going to mean a decrease in the king's power. Huh, so you yeah. start at we're winning the conqueror, you know, conquers England, unifies it for the first time, um, and then goes around uh, and knocks down all the castles and outlaws them. Um, that only, like, he and his men, who are, you know, Norman for the most part, you know, French, uh-huh. um, uh, and actually originally Viking. The Normans were Vikings who settled in northern France, civilized, so to speak, uh, and then later invaded England. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh yeah, goes around his men to have castles, levies the uh, the first tax code uh, in England. Um, you know, takes rules everything, takes everything, um, rules absolutely, uh, and you go from there to 
a figurehead now. And so it's just by slow degrees, you know, chipped away. All it's it's the the trend is in one direction. It's you know the, the king's monarchs weren't getting stronger, um, with the possible exception around the English Civil War, where there's that gap um, where Parliament uh, outlaws the monarchy. And Oliver Cromwell and Parliament run England, and there's no king or queen, and then oh. the monarchy is restored. That's possibly the only you know, point of like that was going to be back. my question: of, yeah. if you ever thought that there was kind of like a blip in that, and it's interesting <laughs> that you feel like the only blip is really like, or it kind of like mm -hmm. got to the point that we're at now, and then sure. went. There, okay, so there are a few. Let's talk. Let's talk exceptions. Um, sure. Henry VIII uh, is another oh. one. The the Anglican Church. Um, where yeah, Henry the Eighth uh, breaks with Rome um, to uh, basically for several reasons, you know, not the least of which is to maintain or to in increase his own power. If he can, if he's able, able to, to if he's the head of the church, right? Which he made himself. Um, the but also because uh, they wouldn't legitimize his uh, divorce, right? Uh, yeah, so they uh, so you know. Breaks with the church, says, says England's Anglican now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the, the head of the church, points all his new guys. Uh -huh. So, you, you know, you've, you've got cases like that where they managed to, to grasp power back. But even that, I mean, that's not so much, that's not taking power back from the English people. That's kind of like, if you I mean, that's taking from the clergy who were already kind of their own little ruling class in you know, in that day and age. Right. The, I think it is, as someone who grew up in the Anglican church as mm -hmm. an Episcopalian, I think it is fascinating that that still remains one of the largest differences between the uh denominations uh -huh. that like i truly do in like that 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 was born in such a you know like you said just like well i'm gonna make myself even more powerful mm -hmm. by making myself both the head of church and state you know right. And the way I'm going to do that is, uh, you know, separate. No one can stop me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because he had absolute power. Mm -hmm. He created a whole new church, mm -hmm. but that was basically the same, except he could get divorced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it is crazy to me that that, mm -hmm. that, that remains, you mm -hmm. know, like, and of course there, there are other differences between the denominations, you know, but a lot of that, it were things that were also born uh, in that era, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, uh, I'm sure that there is a lot, uh, I don't know all, you know, all the details of the history, but like, you know, less of an emphasis on like, uh, the Virgin Mary mm -hmm. as, uh, and, and less of an emphasis on like the process of contrition and things like mm -hmm. that. Uh, I'm fairly certain all those things are, are historical, you know, when the Anglican church was established, because uh -huh. it kind of just goes along with all the rest sure. of his ideals. Mm -hmm. And it is like, man, it's like bizarro for me to think that all that persists <laughs> when so much else has like uh, complete, I mean, even the monarchy itself has yeah. completely changed mm -hmm. in that time. Yeah, period. in a sense, the, the <clears throat> Anglican Church has remained more intact than the monarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, in in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting way yeah. to have a take on it, for sure. Yeah, that, that, that was a really, like, the, the Tudor, the whole Tudor dynasty, which started with Henry VII at the end of the War of the Roses and ends with Elizabeth I, um, is a lot of back and forth. Because, so you had Henry VIII, established uh you know the anglican church um and then 
he had his one son because you know that's all, that's what all that uh, was. Right, that was trying, trying to get a son. Right, um, yes. and he got one um, from um, uh, his wife who died. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but but he got one. Yeah, uh, Edward the sixth, um, and he uh, he was a, a child king. Um, he was you know a boy king, always very sickly, uh, and then. Died. It's possible he was uh, he was helped along that he was poisoned. Um, it's it's hard to say. It was you know there's not historical record of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then so his and so and he was basically he was a puppet king. Like his advisors basically ruled the country while right. he was king. Uh, so then it passed to Henry's oldest daughter How Mary. How old was he when he was like having to be the like when he was the boy king? I think. I don't know the exact. He was coronated, but around like nine, ten, eleven, twelve, something oh, like that. That you is know. crazy. Yeah, there's there have been a few child rulers in England, and they never last long. Most of them get murdered. Oh. Uh, Edward the fifth um, was another one ruled for less than a year. Richard the uh, third had him murdered. Richard the third, you know. Yeah, right. Which is the subject of Shakespeare, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, the. Uh, yeah, there've been been a couple. <laughs> yeah, Richard the third was. Uh, yeah. it, it makes sense that. Oh, well, Richard Shakespeare yeah. wrote one about him. <laughs> well, yeah, well, exactly. But Richard III, yeah, an asshole, but probably not more so than most kings. You just have to remember he was writing that Richard III was deposed by Henry VII, who started the Tudor dynasty, and he was writing that during the Tudor dynasty. Oh, so Richard so he III was, like, was was the family that the ruling monarchs had deposed gotcha. to become kings. They had usurped Richard III. So they were the like natural enemy, basically. Yeah. So he's writing. You know about how terrible Richard the Third was, right. and how great Henry Tudor, That's aka Elizabeth's father or Elizabeth's grandfather, was. A very yeah. good uh, mm-hmm. note for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, what else? So Mary, Mary took power, and Mary was a Catholic. Right. Yeah. Um, and so Mary started burning Protestants. Who uh, boy? Yeah. <laughs> and she installed all you know these Catholic priests and made everyone be be Catholic, and then. Uh, Elizabeth came to power, and Elizabeth was <laughs> Elizabeth was kind of I don't care, but Protestant, mm-hmm. and so out went all the Catholics, uh, and then <laughs> and then that continued into the, the Stuarts. So because after Elizabeth died uh, with no children, so um, they they brought in a new dynasty. They brought in um, the next best claim uh, was James, who was the King of Scotland, mm. um, but also you know, or the Prince of Scotland. He also became. Um, the ruler of England, James the First, that was the Stuart dynasty, mm-hmm. uh, and then the uh, so that the English Civil War was both political and religious. Um, the for the most part, the the British royals uh, it wasn't one hundred percent, but the British royals uh, they were generally Catholic, and the uh, the parliamentarians, the Roundheads, were primarily Protestant. Huh. Uh, that's part of why. That was part of why parliamentary rule proved so unpopular is because Oliver Cromwell was a strict Protestant um, and he was a Puritan. I mean, he, he outlawed everything. Um, uh-huh. And that's why, you know, people eventually, you know, rose up and there was the restoration. They brought back the monarchy because they were also bringing back the more permissive Catholics. So you brought back Charles II, who was kind of like a a good time king. but. <laughs> A good time mm-hmm. What 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 was like the breakdown of the of the people of the country? Mm-hmm. Like was was there just as much of a divide there? Yeah, it was it was mixed, <laughs> and um and it didn't help that you know there were purges, you know. So, oh like, sure, yeah. You know, and taking in turns to mark off. So because it's so okay, I say 
and it's even, even now I'm like I'm recalling and I'm, I'm confusing myself a little. The I actually I, I shouldn't say I don't think the contrast between Parliament and Charles II was so much between Protestant and mm. Catholic mm. because Charles II, um, his successor James II, was a hardline Catholic and he was forced to flee. That he oh. was basically booted out. I think it's <laughs> England did the best under the monarchs who were neither super Protestant or super gotcha. Catholic. Um, yeah, Charles II was kind of everybody do your own thing. Could ride the line. Yeah, and then James II, who was you know a hardline Catholic, um, tried to make everyone Catholic again and got booted. Uh, I also, fled north. I. Uh, <laughs> In the um, remembering that, like, we take for granted ha- that all of these things are named after people. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Lancaster, South Carolina, uh-huh. nicknamed the Red Rose City. Uh-huh. Right down the road from us was York, South uh-huh, sure. Carolina, mm-hmm. nicknamed the White Rose City. Mm-hmm. So, like, cool. that was a thing that, yeah. So, all of this mm-hmm. is something that, like, when we got to it in school, uh-huh. it was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's why that, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I feel like we maybe even had a little more of a focus on it being mm-hmm. where I was from because all of this is, like, more, like, I guess, like, ready, readily in my memory uh-huh. than a lot of the rest of, like, what you're covering here sure. is for one reason or another mm-hmm. uh, or Probably because of the locale, uh, but also it's a, a pretty like um, formulative time in uh, English history. The War of the Roses. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it was it went on for so long. Um, the uh, and there is it's also the only um, place in English history where you have um, one person, or rather, in this case, two people uh, who became king twice. Oh, um, the uh, it's uh, Edward the Fourth and Henry the Sixth uh, traded back and forth. Um, so it went Henry Edward, Henry Edward. Um, it's kind they, of crazy yeah. that everyone stayed, you know, alive and well during all mm-hmm. of that, especially with the nature of <laughs> what you're saying. I mean, plenty of people didn't, obviously. Right, yeah. right. And that's that's also not. Um, I mean, you had plague at the same time oh so, yeah like the between and it, was, and it wasn't very long after uh the hundred years war uh so it's kind of like you had the hundred years war plague the war of the roses all in a row and then england had like half as many people <laughs> Jeez. uh the english were always pretty good about marrying out mm-hmm. like they would not marry they would marry s- yeah they would marry to other people from other countries like oh. the um which is how you ended up with like oh okay like the it's the next person who has the best claim is a scot Right, the Stuarts, and then when Queen Anne died without children, uh, the person the next uh, best claim was was German. Right, you know? and and actually, um, that line continues uninterrupted to today. Um, wow, the yeah, so it's the it's technically it would still be the Hanover dynasty, except that um, they changed the royal name to Windsor um, during World War One because they, they were fighting Germans and they didn't yes. want a German last name. Ah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting, though. Mm-hmm. That it, I didn't, I wouldn't have realized mm-hmm. that it was all uh, an uninterrupted 
uh, yeah, line. It's the I think it's the, the the longest uninterrupted dynasty, which I mean makes sense because kings and queens aren't really getting killed anymore. Yeah, but. that that was that was what I was thinking was like eh, it makes it's an easier position mm-hmm. to hold, and we have you know advancements in like health and yeah. things like that that yeah. would keep people from yeah. uh, kings don't die on the battlefield anymore uh, George the second the second of the Hanover dynasty uh, was the the last English monarch to uh, lead an army into battle really yes and he only did it perfunctory his uh, he was apparently he was a, a bad general and a bad horseman and his horse um, he couldn't control his horse and it ran away <gasps> <laughs> so he led the army into battle, and then the horse ran away from the battle with him oh, on it. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. And then later, he died on the toilet. Oh, I yeah. knew there was a, had, yeah. a king who died on yeah, the toilet. He was, he was pitching a fit um, on the toilet and died of an aneurysm. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a real... Yep, <laughs> that's a real. You can't talk about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some. There's some great ones. Um, William the Conqueror uh, died uh, because he was he he had just set fire to a um, a rebelling town, um, and then his horse uh, trod on an ember <gasps> and slipped, uh, and he slammed hard into the pommel of his saddle um, and ruptured. Some, I mean, they, they say, like, like you know, like, ruptured his gut, but obviously they, it, the medicine was so bad. They don't know what it was he ruptured. He ruptured something in his guts uh, and died in screaming agony over the course of, like, two days. A few days, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, God. And was so, since he was, like, you know, all his gastric stuff was, like, leaking to his system the whole time, uh, he had an incredibly putrid body. He, uh, he bloated um, oh. enough so uh, that they, at first they had to bake a special coffin for him. Um, and then because uh, he was just like too big because his body was bloating too much to go into the bigger coffin and then even that one um, apparently like his body he he rotted so quickly because it was you know that yeah that um, parts of him were falling off as they put it in and then the um, the coffin ruptured uh, because oh. the gases in his body escaped so oh, as he had to be dug God. up and reburied I, was, I think they they dug him up boiled him and reburied his bones um, whoa yeah Gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then I think that I, I uh, this might be apocryphal. I don't remember. It was when the I believe it was when the conqueror who was then at some point someone dug him up again and stole his bones. I think I have heard that yeah. before too. Yeah, yeah. I, it so definitely was one. I I think it was William the Conqueror. Is that yeah. uh horrible histories? Uh, that's something. Sure, that stuff, yeah, stuff like yes, stuff like yes. I'm that. sure. I'm sure. I learned that the first time in horrible history. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like fodder mm-hmm. ripe for the horrible histories yeah. series. Yeah, that was the sort of that was their stock and trade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, is there anything at this point that you feel like you would be remiss to leave out of this conversation? Oh my gosh, I, like, I, I'm sure there's so much. Right, that we it's can like cover. I've got you know like this this deck of cards again, which my grandparents brought me. It's it's all the you know the 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 monarchs. It's like it's, you could almost like you know pick someone out of here. And oh like, yeah, that's you know, fun. Who like tell you something about them? Although you know, there's probably. It's not many. There's a couple. I probably be like I don't know. They were very uh, interesting. I got but, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's oh something. We could talk about Stephen for a second. So some I feel like a really interesting period in history that doesn't get any um, any play whatsoever uh, is actually technically the first English Civil War, um, which is not even really term stuck because um, 
it was, t- it was, it was more like a squabble over succession. Huh. Um, so the after the, the first three English monarchs, I had William the First, and then his son William the Second, and then his other son Henry the First, because Henry probably had William the Second killed. He died mm. in a quote unquote hunting accident in the woods, um, where the allegedly like best shot out of all his knights accidentally shot him instead of a deer. Um, yeah. So then you. Had- it's so cold that like <laughs> to be the king. He would kill his brother. Mm-hmm. That is insane. Well, again, that's, you know, George R. R. Martin has taken like, yeah, all this, sure, this influence sure, sure. from. Right. Um, and so he had uh, two potential heirs, um, Stephen and Matilda. And so Stephen was the recognized one, um, the uh, who I believe was his brother. He was not the direct uh, descendant. Matilda was. She, but his, his daughter was, they would rather have had... Um, the man. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and so Stephen was, uh, uh, you know, coronated, uh, but Matilda had, or Maud, as she was known, had a uh, a huge number of supporters as well. And so for for years they fought back and forth um, across the country. Uh, and I that I think is ripe for a really good adaptation uh, because there are all these incredible stories like from that civil war that happened. Like at one point, uh, Matilda was surrounded um, in uh, uh, a town that Stephen had besieged. Uh, and they um, faked her death and smuggled her out as a corpse. Whoa! Um, pretended that she'd like that she died or she'd killed herself or whatever, and 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 faked it and and managed to get her out of there as a corpse and then flee into the uh, the countryside. Oh my god! Uh, and continue fighting. Um, and then on the other side, so that's so like Game of Thronesy too. Yeah. That's like oh, they <laughs> killed you know. She's dead. Mm-hmm. Never gonna see yeah. her again. Like, but then at the other point, like, like Stephen had some cool shit going on as well. Like, um, so one of Maud's generals, um, uh, in order to basically, he, he Stephen put down one of Maud's generals in a revolt, one of the lords who sided with with Maud, uh, and for ransom, you know, basically in order to make him behave, um, he he gave Stephen his firstborn son, mm-hmm. and you know, and Stephen said, you know, if you like. Obviously, if you if you raise arms again, I'm going to kill your son. And then went off. And then as soon as Stephen left, the guy raised arms again and marched against Stephen. Uh, and Stephen, um, basically, he called Stephen's bluff. Stephen didn't want to kill a kid. So instead, he ended up raising his son as his own. Uh, and he became one of his uh, primary generals. Oh, my gosh. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. So that if I had to, the only thing I know that takes place, it's that takes place in that time period, and it doesn't really even focus on it. So it just happens to take place there. Is um, uh, a series of novels by Ellis Peter, and later they're adapted into um, uh, my, my, the masterpiece theater offshoot mystery oh, um, uh-huh. uh, called um, uh, Cadfile. It's it's which is played by the, the wonderful Derek Jacobi uh, oh. plays Cadfile, uh, and he takes He's place great. during that that Civil War. Um, where he's a Benedictine monk who solves, who's an ex-crusader and then has sworn off violence and solves murders through his knowledge of herbalism. But that is those, so funny. Yeah. I feel like there's so much of British TV that's like, just, how. what's the backstory of this person who solves mysteries? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like... Honestly, I probably could have done this episode just on British television instead. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> right. That was going to be my, yeah. like, before we wrapped up was, like, uh-huh. are there other, um, uh, like, 
historical fiction type things that have been covered that you're like a big fan of like have you watched the tutors like um, is it- oh my god i tried to watch the tutors i got one episode into the tutors and couldn't do it really it's, it's, it's so historically inaccurate <laughs> oh really it's, it's, it's like almost braveheart I, yeah i that's so I know. Funny. maybe i could try now if i got at the time i was you yeah, know, like I was much more too um, riled by pompous. that. It was in college. I was like, oh, oh I, can't, I, I can't do this. Oh, oh. So, the, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure you told like anyone who would listen. Yes, I'm viscerally offended. See, historical stuff I would recommend. This isn't. I mean, um, no, it's a really good one. Kingdom of Heaven, uh, the director's cut. Really? Yeah. The uh, I remember seeing that in theaters. Weirdly, <laughs> the the theatrical cut not great. Um, the director's cut adds in a lot of context for everything. Like, huh. they, the, for the theatrical cut, they basically, they kept all the battles and, like, cut out everything explaining why they were fighting at any point. That's um, so funny. Uh, yeah, I didn't yeah. remember the historical context mm-hmm. of that movie at all. Uh, that's a really good one. Um, the Lion in Winter is a, a great play about, uh, I heard you say, it's not really historically accurate. Right. But it's, um, Do you yeah. want to try to name them all in order? Oh my god! All right, sure. All right, let's see if I can do it. All right, so I, these are these are in order. Okay. All right, you test me. Okay. All right, William the Conqueror. Yeah. Uh-huh. William first. Uh, William the second. Henry the first. Stephen. Henry the second. Richard. John. Henry the third. Mm-hmm. Edward the first. Yes. Edward the second. Yes. Edward the third. Yes. Henry uh, Richard the second. Yes. Henry the fourth. Yes. Henry the fifth. Yes. Henry the sixth. Yes. Edward the fourth. Yes. Then Henry the sixth and Edward the fourth again. Because uh, it goes, yeah, yeah it, it doesn't goes back do that. But yeah, okay. you're the, being uh, more historically yeah. accurate than even these cards okay. are. <laughs> uh, Edward the fifth. Yes. Uh, Richard the third. Mm-hmm. Henry the seventh. Mm-hmm. Henry the eighth. Mm-hmm. Edward the sixth. Mm-hmm. Mary. Yes. Elizabeth. Yes. James the first. Yes. James the second. Uh, oh no! Sorry. James the first. Charles the first. Parliament. Charles the second. James the second. There you go. William and Mary. Yes. Uh, Anne. Yes. George the first. Yes. Second. Third. Fourth. Um, William the fourth. Victoria. Edward the seventh. George the fifth. Edward the eighth. George the Sixth, Elizabeth the Second. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. That was that was impressive, and I'm really glad I made you do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you made me do it as well. That's I don't know where that street cred. That's got to be street cred somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, I would think so too. If nothing else, it's like yeah, we spent a good amount of time hopping around in this, mm-hmm. but legitimately, you know a lot about this topic. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't do it with presents. I'd get like. Grant and presidents, then I go. Ah. Yeah, that's it. I, have to I def- back up with like uh, FDR. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> definitely a a part in there that's mm-hmm. that's more complicated than the rest, than yep. the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Um, what? How do you think that your love of and interest in the monarchy, uh, English history, has influenced you creatively? Um, and uh, if you think there's an answer for like how you feel like it may have influenced your life in general, um. Let's see, creatively. Uh, I mean, okay, so I, I keep talking about how, you know, George R. R. Martin and other people draw on it um, right. as, you know, inspiration. Uh, mm-hmm. I do that as well, both I, you know, I write fiction. Um, and then in a, you know, 
less serious venue in my uh, ongoing D&D game. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a great yes. source of, you know, so like cre- I would say creatively is easy. You know, it's, you, it's, there's so much like rich history, these like, you know, amazing and crazy things that happen um, that it, it's easy to, you know, to, to draw on that um, mm-hmm. and, you know, either riff on it or just, you know, change the names and like, and this happened. And it yeah. definitely like, f- you definitely see it f- feeding into the things that you work oh, on. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. The, um, uh, in terms of like my overall life, I would say, I mean, the, the best, like, I would say it gives me perspective. Though, so if we bring it back to, at the very beginning, I was talking about like theories like of great people versus, you know, um, you know, the, the contributions of, you know, many, many people. Sure. Um, and, I would say, like, it was an entry point to learning all of the actually important stuff. I mean, so, like, at the end of the day, it does, it's not important that I can name them all in, in right. order. And it's not important that I know, like, how William the First died. But, like, those were the things that, that hooked me um, in order that I kind of, by osmosis, picked up all this historical context. Sure. Uh, and it teaches, taught me how to think about history. You know, it gives you context to think about history. And then when you have context for how to think about history, then you have context for how to think about society. Hmm. Um, I know that's like a very like broad like no, overarching I, the answer. No, I think there's I um, think there's so much to that, especially mm-hmm. along with I'm sure so much of like knowing the order is knowing the order of events. You know, yes, exactly. Is yeah. well, this happened and that led mm-hmm. to this, and you know, I, I, there's a similar nature of remembering who was president during sure. which you know major mm-hmm. era of American history. Uh, but that is. That's a really like lovely kind of like way to think about that the the factual entry point mm-hmm. is just that is is just a an introduction to mm-hmm. you know yeah and that's that's ultimately like the, the horrible histories we talked about like that's what that's what was so brilliant about them was was hooking kids being like hey, we're gonna talk about like the plague and like what they ate and like how this person died right but I mean you end up teaching the kids like actually you know about how you know how change happens how government works right uh, how people get like you know exploited um or stop being exploited um yeah i don't know it the i'm not sure if I hadn't had this as an entry point with the, the english history i don't think i would have gotten as into history in general huh. uh, as I did um, and I, I think it was it was yeah, it was which down the line I don't think I would have gotten into sociology if that had been the, the case or criminology not that that has then ended up you know uh, being my career anything, but, uh, but it gives still, me plenty to talk about at parties yeah, and you know? <laughs> and and enough of an interest and uh-huh. you know level of knowledge that mm-hmm. you have a, a more informed way of interacting with the world at sure. large uh, this has been so lovely thank I you really very much it has it. I have really enjoyed this as well thank you so much for doing it with me I love you, Bentley, and I mean that. Oh, thank you, Marita. And thank you all for listening. (laughs) Baby, how you feeling? 
This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.